Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, outstanding colleague Olga Nulich, and we have got through outstanding. outstanding. I try and mix it up each week. Outstanding this week. It seems appropriate. Now we've been doing this show right through the NBL season, Olgs, and we've got to the final weekend of regular season basketball and we're in a situation where every single game feels like it means something this is the perfect scenario for the league i was skeptical that it could be as perfect as it was last season when you only had a top four but we came down to the very last regular season game it might be the case this week with the melbourne and adelaide and sydney and southeast melbourne phoenix so hey let's start this podcast with a hat tip to the league and maybe there's a little bit of luck there involved in how the games all play out, but this is awesome. This is awesome to get to the final weekend and have meaningful basketball across virtually every single game. No, look, playing, great idea. It has paid off based on what we have seen so far and what we are going to expect for this last week of the season. Um, we're really at this point in the season and we still don't know who is making that play in. We don't know the order in which that's going to happen. Um, I think we called it a few weeks ago that... This very well could come to that final day. Um, and the results have panned out that way, I think. Um, it's really weird, though. So, like, you've got the top two. There's still a fight for that number two. Mm-hmm. You've got to fight for those standings between that three and six. Um, and then, in my mind, I think it's, like, pretty reasonable now to assume it's a Melbourne-Perth dogfight to get into that sixth spot, isn't it? It is. Out of these top seven teams, the only team that really you know, uh, can put their feet up, I guess, is the Sydney Kings, knowing that they're locked into the top spot. They did that with a win over the Phoenix on the weekend. But it's going to be uh, great fun. But uh, we also have some controversy. Controversy. What, do you, what word do you go with, Oh, It's controversy. Okay. You don't want to go controversy? Nah, nah, we're not British. <laughs> controversy. There is some controversy yesterday. And it might be a little bit fabricated, but it comes to... The NBL Awards. And we should say, the NBL Awards next Tuesday night, uh, I believe they're on ESPN, which everyone will be able to check out. Crown Casino in Melbourne is where the event is going to be held, which means that our podcast schedule might change a little bit next week. We're still working through that. Uh, but if you subscribe and you turn the notifications on, then you'll know exactly when the episode drops. So I would highly recommend everyone does this. I said a few weeks ago that one of the benefits of not being on the award committee this year was that I am... Um, free of any responsibility for things that go down when it comes to the nominations for the potential finalists. So I'm free of any guilt here. Am but, I? Um, I'm, I'm not. I was on the committee. Yes. I put my vote. But I'm completely willing to take responsibility for my votes. Are you I telling think... me you're separating yourself from your media brothers and no, sisters? No, not at all. I hope everyone who was on that voting committee yes. is willing to uh, stand behind... The, their respective picks. My picks, I think, were data-driven. I think they were based on watching the entire season, watching every single game. I'm I'm happy with my picks. I don't think anyone, as in, try to try to tear my picks apart. I dare anyone to. I'm I'm willing to back it 100. percent Well, we like that. We like that you're on the front foot. And we should clarify because there was some conversation around yesterday, particularly on Twitter. So the process was, and there were seven. Uh, media members that went through. I, I think you might have the list there. I, I think I know most of them off, off the top of my head. But anyway, the seven media members had to put together their nominations for who they thought should be in the mix for the coaches and captains to ultimately vote. And the coaches and the captains vote. And then you come up with the three finalists. So essentially, 
the awards are, are decided, but we have the three finalists to which a winner is going to be selected from. So there was some confusion about how different names got to the finalist position, but that that's essentially right. That is right. We we vote. We put our votes forward. That creates the shortlist that goes to the coaches, uh, and then it's head coaches, assistant coaches, and captains. They make they do the actual votes, and so where do we want to start? Because I feel like. MVP, for example, is unproblematic. That is the, the least controversial three that we probably could have picked. Um, I guess some people could make a case for Keanu Pinder. Uh, Milton Doyle's mother tweeted at me saying that he belongs in that race. Hmm. And mad respect to her for obviously standing behind her son. But I think Zay Cook's Mish Creek, Bryce Cotton, is pretty kind of well-baked in as a top three for MVP. And I don't think that's controversial. No, I think that's right. I think that ultimately it will come down to... And this is interesting because the Phoenix have put themselves in a really good position for the top six now. But I've made the argument that because the records are so close between those two to six, even two to seven teams, potentially if Perth or the Phoenix miss out, then I don't think you can really point to winning. I think both Mitch Creek and Brass Cotton have carried an extraordinary load throughout the season. But I, if, if I had to choose, and I wrote a story at espn.com.au with my front runner and then some players that are potentially unlucky most of the the players or nominations that I said were unlucky were players that were listed in these three finalists for the MVP I did put Keanu Pinder there he's been unlucky for a couple of reasons firstly the injuries that have piled up at the end of the the season but to this point and he's got that nasty facial injury the orbital fracture that he's got there in his face but he's only played 19 games he, he can't he can't be a MVP finalist I, I agree um I also think the the narrative was very cool I'm I'm for some reason reticent to think that he's their MVP anyway because of the way DJ Hogue has played on both ends of the floor mm. I think if if the narrative from the beginning was that DJ Hogue is, was the guy on the tie pants and he's their MVP I think he would have been part of the conversation um, but that's also a broader conversation that I guess we have to have about narratives and reputations driving award votes um, and driving people's decisions when it comes to these sort of things um, and I think we're going to get to that a bit later when we reveal some of the other uh, nom- uh, the other uh, finalists from some of these awards so you would go if you had a final vote in this which again you didn't who would your vote go to uh, Xavier Cooks I'm pretty I'm pretty sold on not just I think best player on the best team in the league and it's I think he's clearly their best player, and I think they are clearly the best team. Um, but also, and put aside the fact that his averages are somewhat skewed because he played a game where he played like seven minutes and went off with injury and that sort of thing. Um, I just think he's just so impactful on both ends of the floor. Like he's, His value is just so obvious every time you watch them play. Um, and he's he has played well enough, um, and they have been consistent enough that I think it's just so reasonable that it's his award to lose at this point. And the awards, are, the votes, are obviously in, and so his triple double doesn't yeah. come into consideration. Mitch Creek's twenty nine points the other day doesn't doesn't come into consideration. Bryce Cotton's forty point game doesn't come into consideration. Um, but I think based on you know the body of work that we had prior to those votes coming in, I've got Xavier Cooks. Can I say I think we need to find a way to change that? By the way, because it is it is a really short season. If it's the NBA and you were doing this and there's 82 regular season games and you get to 80 games, 79 games, and then you're voting, it's like, okay, we've seen enough basketball. But when there's only 28 games, 
I don't think and push the awards back or something. Figure it out. And I know it's difficult because you have players that when the season ends they want to go home. There is more complicating factors, but I just think if you have cooks with this triple double, and I'm not, I don't know how much that would impact the voters, but there are impactful performances happening in games that really matter right now, and they don't count to the vote. Look at, look at Sam Wardenberg yesterday. Yes, yeah, yes. just just his entire back end of the season, yep. which has been really impressive. But I do wonder if you know a small percentage of that is not going to be even considered because those awards are already in, those votes are already in. Yeah, we'll definitely get to the next generation award. So just quickly on the MVP stuff. So I would probably go with Xavier Cooks as well. And I was just going through the numbers and everyone knows outside of ESPN.com.au, SpatialJam.com, a website that I just spend a lot of time on. And, and we should say, uh, shout out to Andrew Price, who does a great job with that website. And he tweeted on the weekend that I think he's been caught up in the flooding yeah. in Auckland as well. So hopefully he's doing well and everyone over in New Zealand that listens to the show. But Cooks on the season and... Yeah, people have their theories about plus minus. I mean, to me, if you're looking over the course of a season, you get a fair old indication of what players, when they're on the floor, their teams are really playing well. Xavier Cooks, after the weekend, plus 213 on the season. The second-ranked player is his teammate, which is no surprise because the Kings have won a lot of games. DJ Vasiljevic, but he's he's about 80 points, 75, 80 points below. The, the, the facts are, and the numbers say, that when Xavier Cooks is on the floor... Forget the standard box score stuff. They're just winning games. Overall in the season, they're outscoring teams by 17.2 points per 100 possessions when Cooks is on the floor. He's not racking up the, the huge points per game. A lot of that is because he doesn't play the same minutes that Creek and Cotton play. But his impact is, to me, the biggest in the league by a bit of a margin. And I think he also passes the eye test too, and particularly defensively too. Uh, and we... It's, weird. it's it's so easy to just scoff over what guys do defensively, but it's it's half the game, right? And I think he does he does that extremely well. Um, I think Mitch Creek is also solid defensively. Bryce Cotton better than previous seasons, but obviously not to the extent that that Cooks and Creek are. Um, but but yeah, I think when it comes down to it, based on all of those factors and all of the numbers that you said, and I feel like we we're in the same boat of having spatialjam.com open on a tab at all times I've also got Real GM open yeah. at all times and I also have JordanMCNBL.com open at all times right these to find play type data and to find you know raw plus minus stuff and to find you know advanced stats they're, they're kind of the three outside of ESPN.com.au where mm-hmm. we have our analysis etc yep. um, but I think the numbers back Zave Cooks I think the eye test does too and I think just like the the fact that they won games that the outcomes also back him and if you go, just last one on this, if you go to the per 36 numbers, because I was just curious last night, because we know, and I think that Creek deserves significant praise for what he's done this year. This has been a South uh, uh, southeast Melbourne team that's been derailed by injuries, and Creek has just continued to play. And he's one constant. And he's played through injuries. He's playing 37, 38 minutes a night. Bryce Cotton is basically not going to the bench anymore. So ultimately, I, I would be, I'm cool with whoever wins. I, I would pick Zave, but... I'm cool if particularly Mitch Creek wins it because I, I just think what he's done has been superb. But if you go per 36, Creek would be averaging 25, essentially 25, 8, and 3. Cotton would be 24, 4, and 5. And then Xavier Cooks would be averaging 22, 11, and 6. So it's just, you know, you give Zave a few more minutes, uh, his production would be right up there, if not better than the other two guys. Now, does he get docked for not playing that many minutes? I don't know. Maybe that's a fair argument. Potentially. I mean, especially if the voters, if the final voters were looking at numbers, 
you know, he plays less minutes. His numbers are, are less than those other guys. Like, if that comes into consideration, then I guess, I don't know if that's unfair to him, but that's obviously something that they consider. Um, the other thing that you consider is the talent on his team that's and right, the fact yeah. that they have been largely healthy this season. And so he hasn't had to play those minutes. Um, and he also hasn't had to step up as that MVP guy the entire season. He doesn't have to take over the scoring load a lot of the time. Sometimes he can just be a connector, just be a glue guy, um, which I think is also part of his value. And I think why he's the most valuable because he's... He's got a, a really cool level of self-awareness when it comes to, um, you know, how to kind of um, manifest his value on a court. And Bryce Cotton had 40 points as well. We should mention that in terms of performances that, that might not count yeah. uh, to this final voting. And it, it also just is challenging because maybe Perth will make it. Maybe the Phoenix will make it. That impacts things, I think, when it comes to the playing tournament. Let's get to the most controversial one of yesterday that had Twitter alight. It's a defensive player of the year. The Damian Martin Trophy. The finalists, Antonius Cleveland from Adelaide, Shaley from Melbourne, and Derek Pardon from the New Zealand Breakers. Now, again, there were a select number of players chosen by the seven-person media panel, and then these finalists have been voted by the coaches and captains. But... If I go through the list and look at all the finalists of the award, this is the one that really doesn't sit all that well. It's... With respect. <laughs> well done, well done. You were about to be berated unless you said that. Um, look, the... I So I had Derek Pardon on my list. Yes. Um, I did not have Antonius Cleveland on my list. Mm-hmm. I don't think his team is good enough defensively. I don't think he has been as good as he was last season defensively. So does so to cut in there because I think that's an interesting point you make. He is an elite individual defender. Yep. Should he be penalised because his teammates aren't that good on the defensive end? Um, I mean, if you're the defensive player in the year uh, of the year, I feel like there is an it is implied that you are helping your team uh, have success on the defensive end, and if that's demonstrably not the case, then I don't know how you can be a finalist for that award. Mm-hmm. That's that's just my feel, right? How, I, what, what is the point of being a really good point of attack defender if you're ultimately not helping your team achieve success on that end, right? So I, I feel like your your output is effect, is almost redundant at that point. Um, and you can make the same argument for someone like Sunday Detch, who's also, I think, an elite point of attack defender, who if Adelaide was a top three defensive team, he might be in consideration as well. Um, his minutes obviously not the same as Antonius Cleveland's, but he's I think as good defensively as a point of attack guy. Um, so I think that there has to be a consideration. It doesn't have to be the be the be all and end all. It doesn't have to be the, the main consideration, but it has to be part of it, right? I feel like to to dismiss it is is just to not take the award seriously, right? Because at that point you're just picking like as in who won, for example, like Illawarra. You know, do we pick Wani Swakala Bullock because he's a pretty good point of attack guy and he picks up full court? I don't think so. Right? They're not a good defensive team and they haven't been winning games. Um, if it doesn't achieve outcomes, then what's the point? Is my feel. Um, and so Cleveland wasn't on my top mm-hmm. five that I put forward. Derek Pardon was. And I think if this is the group, I think he wins it. Um, and then the Shea Illy one is the one that I think caused the most amount of... Uh, caused a stir around the NBL community because he's only played 14 games, which will end up being, what, around half the season? Um... And as good as he is defensively, and he's great defensively, right? I don't think anyone argues that. Um, I just don't think he's played enough games 
in order to be up for this award over some guys who are on really good defensive teams, who have had really good individual defensive seasons, who are for some reason not on this list. I think it's 13, as, 13. as I can see it here. So it's going to be uh, below the 50% mark for games played by the end of the season done. So my argument would be that he, he shouldn't even have been allowed to have been nominated because this was where I was a little confused, confused yesterday as we were seeing people discuss the Defensive Player of the Year stuff because to me, I'm not actually surprised that the coaches and the captains voted Shea and Antonius Cleveland because I don't think that we should expect the coaches and captains to go through all the data and off the top of their head know who's played this many games and how it's impacted in their numbers. Like that, like That's not what they're going to vote on. And I remember when we were in Darwin for the preseason, I went around and did an anonymous poll of asking different players, coaches, who was the best defensive players in the league. And those two guys, Cleveland and Illy, everyone mentioned because they have the respect. So if you put them on a list and you ask the coaches and the captains to pick their best defensive players, they're going to choose those guys because those guys are a humongous pain in the ass when they play them. And maybe they've played Shaili three times in the last month since he's been back. So I don't blame the coaches and the captains for who's in the You're finals. The media. Yeah, I don't think that... I, I don't know how you nominate him. Like, I, I, first of all, I don't think he should have been on the list to be nominated. Like, you should have... Bare so minimum. We could, we could technically vote for anybody. Yeah, but that, that shouldn't be the case. And and you should look at it and say, if you haven't played 50% of the games, I'm not putting your name on the list. That's that's how I see it. So that's, that's where it's... it's in, We are entrusted with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a responsibility. And you and it's he hasn't even played half the games. And you're right, he's an elite defender. If he played yeah. 20 games, fine. If this was in a vacuum, the best defensive player in the league, he's, he's probably in the top three. Yeah, right. No doubt, but we're no not... But we're, we're it's not, not an elite thing. Like, I got no... No, totally. Leaked. But we're not looking at this award in a vacuum. We're looking at it, at it in the context of this season. Yeah. And, in, and with regard to this season, yes, he has been effective defensively. Of course, when he plays, Melbourne United is an elite defensive team. Uh, he just hasn't played enough. And that's just like, I feel like that's so obvious. And and for him to be, I'll use the word snubbed, uh, when you have someone like Justin Simon, who, if he was on this finalist, if he was among these finalists, he would have been my pick to win it all, right? He was, he was at the top of my list when I put my nominations in. You have someone like him, who is their main point of attack guy, I think their most versatile defender, and um, they are a top two they've been hovering around being the best defensive team in the league in, for him not to even be part of this conversation now I feel like is, is a disservice to to him and also just to like, to the league as far as like I feel like we've come far enough that we, we should be able to to make these sort of decisions in a more like data driven effective way yeah and I will also say similar to the captains and coaches people will look at doing their nominations a different way to what I would so there will be probably people out there that disagree with my point i think a simple way to do it in the future is just say if you haven't played 65 percent of the game so even 50 percent is pretty low for me so in a 28 game season if you haven't played 18 games maybe maybe that's the number i don't know come 20 on games. give me 20 games 20 games yeah like I, if you I do played... think keanu pinder is probably going to win most improved and he's played 19 so that that's that's you know tough. what <laughs> i thought i thought that was the case until you know this past month where i think will mcdowell white is sort of kind of getting in that conversation in like a very well, serious way. No doubt. Um, but look, back to this. So all I'm saying is people would have that different... Like, in my opinion, I don't think he... he I could have brought myself to put him in. Like, I wouldn't have even considered that. But I think he, that... He wasn't in consideration for me. But I think the league can take it out of the hands and just say there's a game limit. Mm-hmm. That would make sense to me. And I, I think there is a point to be made for, again, the coaches and the captains that 
maybe there was some Xavier Cooks, Justin Simon taking each other out type stuff. They're the best defensive team in the league. I'm sure Cooks got some votes. I'm sure Simon got some votes. Maybe there's differing opinions on who's the best defender or most impactful defender on that team. Maybe that went against them. Similar to potentially Cairns with Hogan. Bull Quoll and Tajima Cole, all these guys. Do you think that's something that could potentially hurt Derek Parton? Because because Jarrell Brantley... Uh, the, so the NBL hasn't released the list of nominees that went to the um, went to the coaches and captains. We have the list, um, but it's we're, we're under like a confidential seal, so we can't say who was on that list. But if, for example, if Jarrell Brantley was on it, do you think he would have taken away potentially from Derek Parton votes? Yeah, probably. I wrote in my story that I think that because of who's the finalist here, like I have to think that Pardon should win it out of those three. Yep. But I'm not going to be surprised if he doesn't. And he, and again, because I understand that uh, people look at it differently. So we'll see. It's going to be a fascinating. I wouldn't be surprised if Antonius Cleveland walks away with this award, mm-hmm. just based on presumably how these these coaches and captains have gone about voting for it. Yeah, and again, going back to that trip to Darwin I mean some of the stuff that opposition players and coaches said about Cleveland I mean he is they don't like having to go up against this guy uh, defensively and we saw him again even last night come up with just some huge plays in in a win over Cairns that I guess technically keeps Adelaide season alive but not really but anyway they beat the Cairns Taipans what about the next gen award you mentioned Sam Wardenberg earlier and I brought this up when they changed this award last week or the week before whenever we were discussing this and I said I think that there will be a decision to be made between uh, the voters that numbers on a team that's not good versus contributing really to a team that is winning and is a chance to win a title. And we have actually seen, as you pointed to, when Pinder's gone out, Wardenberg's numbers have gone up. I think he's probably getting more comfortable in the league. And over the last eight games without Pinder, he's up to 13 points and seven rebounds. That's not far off what Sam Froling has done all season long. So yeah. I, I think yeah, maybe Froling is the winner here, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some votes that want to reward what Wardenberg has done on a winning team. Yeah, when when the when the change happened, I feel like we were all saying, oh, this is Froling's award now. Uh, if, if we were going by whatever the assumption of what this award is, which is the best performing player of in that age group, then I think it goes to Froling. I, I do wonder if there was one an element of um, not not a pity vote, but like feeling a bit sorry that this award was ch- this, the criteria for the award was changed mid season, and all of a sudden it's not just a lock for Sam Mordenberg. So I wonder if there was an element that went to that, and also the fact that I think he is playing well enough that it it wouldn't not warrant a vote. If you vote for him, no one will say what a, what a stupid vote you guys made. Yeah. If you vote for Sam Wardenberg, you think, oh, there, there are legitimate reasons to back that sort of thing. So it wouldn't surprise me if Sam Wardenberg walked away with it. Uh, I, I still think it should be Sam Froling, just based on just individual performance throughout the season. Um, the other nominee is Luke Travers. And I wonder if you would think that, is Luke Travers more worthy of this award than, say, a Brady Manic? I, I've Someone asked me that earlier, and I don't know. Brady Manic's splits have been really good. Um, he's performed relatively well over the over like the second half of the season. Um, and Luke Travis has sort of been up and down. His shooting splits are also really good, but as far as production goes and just straight up output on the same team, I think that's a toss-up between those two. Um, granted, I don't think it'll actually mean anything because I don't think either are going to be the top two for that award. But I don't know. Do, do you think that Brady Manic should have been part of that? I know you were sort of 
you, you really wanted an import to be part of this award. <laughs> yeah, I was. I don't want to say I was surprised because once I opened up the, you know, eligibility, I thought that it was a chance that Travis would be in there. Yeah, Rayon Rupert was another guy we mentioned. I actually don't yeah. know how many games he's played, but he was fantastic on the weekend and got some love from Jonathan Gavoni. His draft stock is uh, is going to continue to rise. He looks like he's going to be a first-round pick. But Travis is interesting because, again, this is another one of those guys where if you talk to teams in, in opposition, they pretty much all sit there and say, well, he's Perth's second-best player or third-best player in terms of impact on both ends of the floor. When you consider that Perth doesn't defend anyone, Travis can defend. He's got that versatility two-way, so... I could go either way. I'm fine with Travis being there, but I don't think he's going to win. I think yeah. this is between Froling and Wardenberg for sure. But, yeah, Manic, he's had some big, big offensive games yeah. in the back half of the season. Yeah. Again, I don't think it matters. I think this is Froling's award to lose. Um, but again, I wouldn't be mad if Sam Wardenberg wins. I think there is there is enough reason to, to warrant voting for him. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they did. We, uh, we exist in this fraternity in this within this NBL community, they understand how annoyed Sam Wardenberg and his camp would have felt when they changed the criteria for this award. It wouldn't surprise me if they said, "All right, young fella, you take this award now." Yeah, and Adam Ford was pretty vocal about it, which we probably expected. But speaking of Adam Ford, I've got a question for you with the Lindsay Gaze Coach of the Year. So our three finalists: Adam Ford from Cairns, terrific season. Yes. Second, third spot, still up for grabs with New Zealand. And I would almost say New Zealand are in the box seat now. Cairns have to go and play Perth in Perth this weekend. That's their last game of the season. The Breakers have Illawarra and Brisbane, two games the Breakers would like to think they can win. If they win both of those and Cairns doesn't take care of business, the Breakers will go into the top two. So these two have been thereabouts all season long. Is there any reason why... I don't think this is a popular pick. Is there any reason why Chase Buford shouldn't win this award? So I have it written down here. Um, so coach of the year is generally, uh, it is outcome over expectation, right? That's generally how we view it. Good story award. And and I don't mean that, but like that, the good story pushes you to the top of well, the coaches. 100%, right? And I, I feel like when it comes to good story, the breakers have that. I agree. It is, they, they were coming off the, the situation they had to go through with regard to COVID really bad the worst team in the league last season and they are all of a sudden a legitimate playoff contender and I think in my opinion the team that can challenge the Sydney Kings the best um, the the uh, the Taipans also they have a portion of that story too young head coach you know sort of fostering this this cool culture and, and it's built around Tajir McCall and brought in Sam Wardenberg it's awesome right really good import um, class but then you have Chase Buford, who is coming off a title, came into this with expectations to be good again, and they were good again. Um, it's it's at some point meeting your expectations to a T has to mean something, right? Being the having the best team in the league two seasons in a row has to mean something, right? And so it again, it's it's the story versus just the better outcome. Uh, Chase Buford and the Sydney Kings clearly have the better outcome. Um, I, d- I don't know which way these coaches and captains would, would skew. Um, I do wonder if Chase Buford's personality uh, and his uh, being... He is an extrovert. Um, he is loud on sidelines. He is 
uh, erratic at times. I don't, I don't know. I haven't asked around, but I don't know how that plays with opposing head coaches and opposing captains. So I wonder if that could be a, a vote against him. Whereas someone like Modi, Mayora, and Adam Ford, I think they're generally more well-respected around the league because they've been around for slightly longer, I guess. And so I wonder if that plays into it too. But when it comes to just the straight-up facts and the straight-up outcomes, I think Chase Buford should be... That's why I think it's a, it's a toss-up. It is a three-way toss-up right here. Chase Buford should be in consideration. Yeah, I had to look back, and it was probably silly of me to need to look back, but I know that Buford was a finalist last year, and then it was Scott Roth who won the award, which absolutely first i mean just ridiculous stuff from scott roth he's gone yeah. back and done it again this year so worthy winner i just wonder it would be crazy we don't know what chase Buford is going to do in the off season what, where he's going to be next year not 100 percent sure but it would be wild if he had two years in the league won two titles never won coach of the year i mean he yeah. he has proven himself as an elite coach and people people don't like him but my suspicion with people that don't like him is because sydney keep beating everyone and he carries on a bit on the sideline which he admits himself, but yeah. why should I care about that? It doesn't it doesn't impact me. Yeah. And if you look at Dean Vickerman, he's loud on the sideline. Adam Ford is fired up on the sideline. Trevor Gleason was oh, the king of that. He's, it's, he's, he's not alone. Has he gone too far on a couple of occasions? Of course. But I'm not someone that believes that that should impact his nor coach of the I. year. Nor, nor, nor do I. I, I. I just wonder if it does. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm peers. curious. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't. I don't think he'd win it if it was a fan vote. Because oh, I don't no. think I don't think opposition fans love him again, yeah. which is my suspicion is because they just keep winning. Of course, um, there, look, there is a tall poppy element to it. Um, there is an element of you. You have a really good team. Um, yeah. You your team is super talented. Your bench could effectively start for a bunch of teams. Um, and then there's also the case of you know we have an executive of the year of the year award, and is does not giving this award to Chase Buford mean that Chris Pongrass is just a mm. shoe in for that award? Because I guess you. You can't, let's say you can't give Chase Buford coach of the year because his team is so well put together. You, you can maybe can't give Zave Cooks MVP because you know they have so many good players on their team. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that Chris Pongras is this this king of executives who suddenly who's all of a sudden put two really quality teams together? Um, like that's going to be an interesting sort of toss up too. Um, but at some point you just have to you have to reward success um, and maybe look past the nice story and maybe look past guys who just exceed expectations. Um, rewarding success should be we, we should be giving people awards based on merit at some point alright I want to get to the final weekend of NBL action as we get to the back end of this podcast but just quickly six man of the year Barry Brown lock it up just uh, Tyler Johnson's been cool end of the season I just don't think it's it. Barry Brown's top five in the league in scoring breakers are really good top two or three defensive team I just think I just think it's his like it's, it's a no brainer that he's six man of the year and most improved player, you know, Pinder McDowell. I'm kind of cool with either, but again, I've spoken about the game stuff. He's played 19 games. Maybe that's not enough. I reckon that's maybe just enough. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if McDowell got a lot of votes. Mm-hmm. He has been really, really impressive. Um, surprised to see Sean McDonald on the list. I feel like that's also like a narrative-driven vote. I don't think he's the most improved player on his own team. I think Jack McVay. Yeah, I would have gone with Jack McVay, but McDonald is played an important role which is oh, full credit to him I think he's their best role player um, and that is that is a really tough thing to do on a, on a pretty good team as well um, I just think his production has risen with his minutes whereas McVeigh's minutes mm-hmm. have remained largely the same same with McDowell um, but their respective production has increased and I think McVeigh's shooting splits are also really important to look at too 
Um, so I don't think McDonald is the best, the most improved player on his own team. Um, so, but yeah, so I feel like it comes to the other two guys. I'd like to be more controversial, but most of these awards, I'm just totally cool with. I, I think that you can make a case for almost all uh, denominations or all the finalists there. So, and that's one there. You know, Pinda, McDowell, White. I'm not fussed either way. And you know, McDowell, White has taken another step on the back of the Boomer stuff last year. So he's been yeah. awesome. This latter situation. <laughs> And it's changed every week that we've come in here, Oggs. A few weeks ago, I said, I just don't think Melbourne can make it because they need everything to go right. A week later, I came in here and they were in the six. <laughs> now they're back out. Is there going to be a change with the top six as it currently stands? And the teams, just to set it up, the teams that are in real jeopardy, well, the team that's in potential real jeopardy just based on where they are with the wins and losses right now is the Perth Wildcats they're 14 and 12 Melbourne are 14 and 13 there's a couple other teams locked there on 15 wins but is, is there going to be a change keep in mind Melbourne has got Adelaide first game at John Kane Arena in over a month this Sunday afternoon are they getting in? I'm going to answer that question with another question here we go uh, will Sydney rest players? I don't think so. I mean, you you are taking you're taking a risk. Are they going to send players to Perth? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Why? Why? Well, they got a week off after this game. They don't. Their players don't play a lot. Like they don't play huge minutes. It's not like these guys have been playing huge minutes. It's not like their second game in three days. They're not Perth. I get that with like a six man rotation. I, I don't. I, I mean, I'm not expecting that they're going to go with with half a squad. Because I, I do think that because of the play-in tournament, it does complicate things. It's not like game one of the semi-final series is in two days after this Perth trip where you've locked up first spot. Mm. So I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, you get some run into the guys. It's going to be at least a week before you play your first playoff game. So that would mean that you're going into game one of the postseason having not played a game in two weeks? Well, like that, that will happen. Or you think they'll just play the Sunday? Well, so I can imagine everyone playing against Cairns, for example. Um, it would surprise me if Sydney sent everyone to Perth. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you sending Derek Walton Jr. to Perth? As in, like, send him, but why, why would he play? They, so you they think Melbourne United him. is going to be in a bad spot because Perth might have a game... Against a weakened Sydney Kings team. Interesting, that is, yeah. that is If I was Melbourne United, that is my fear. Um, and it, it, let's say that doesn't happen. Let's say everyone plays. Um, like We're coming down a percentage. Like, I feel like that's almost a no-brainer. If we were looking at this objectively, we're looking at Perth at home against Cairns and Sydney, let's say, let's give them the, the benefit of the doubt and say they split them. Then it comes down to percentage. Um, it very well could be a situation, and I think it's likely, that we're going to have Melbourne versus Adelaide on that final day. Melbourne has more to play for, I guess. Let's say they win by 10. That would mean that, assuming that the percentages stay around the same, Perth would have to beat Sydney, or would have to not to lose to not lose to Sydney by by more than two points, right? It's it's going to come down down to percentages. I think, assuming everyone plays, I think Melbourne has a slight advantage here mm. because it's Perth against the number two team and the number one team, um, or at least against two top three teams. That is tough for them. They are bad defensively. They are so bad defensively. My God, they're bad defensively. Um, and I, again, that's their long-term future as far as getting into the play. And if they get in, if they're in a series, I don't trust them there. Uh, in these instances, I know they can get hot. 
Bryce Cotton can get hot and anything can happen. I just feel like they're just two well-drilled enough teams that they're going up against that I trust Melbourne over Adelaide more and I and I don't trust those results going Perth's way. That's just my feel. So this is very confusing as we continue to roll through this, but let's just lay out the ultimate chaos mode. This is what we want. This is what I always go for is the ultimate chaos. I don't really care who wins, but maximum chaos is what we want. Friday night, Wildcats first, Taipans. For the chaos theory, we want the Taipans to win that game. Sure. For chaos, yeah. If we want everything to come to the last day of the season, which it has over the past few seasons, then yeah, if we're, we're trying to be the, the Joker and Batman, absolute chaos. That's right. So then you'd have the Wildcats and Melbourne United both on 14 and 13 entering the final day of the season. Percentage, very, very close. Melbourne's got Adelaide at 2 p.m., Melbourne beats Adelaide. That's what we're hoping for. Let's say let's say percentage is effectively tied going to that final day. Yeah, so Melbourne comes in. They win that game. They move to 15 and 13. Then you've got a 4 p.m. game between the Wildcats. And as you pointed to, Sydney. Yep. We'll see. We'll see who's they've playing there. Up, they've locked up number one. And I'm not sending everyone. Now, look. Yeah, you might be right. You, you, you're starting to turn me. I think you might be right. <laughs> Even though they've still got the week off. That's but just, they did play on the Friday. Either. That's my mistake. They that's play on the me. Friday. So maybe they don't want to put you know, sore bodies on the plane across the country even if, though they've got a week off they get the Friday game you might be onto something there Oggs. I'm cool with that but hey remember what happened last year in the last game of the regular season Phoenix and Perth Wildcats Perth needed to win at home they couldn't get it done the game went to overtime the Wildcats missed out on the top four they're going to be faced with a similar scenario this year potentially if we get the full chaos mode that's what I'm hoping for let's go look I'm look okay I want chaos too give me give me a Cairns win over Perth and then let's get to that final day. What I want on that final day, and I've thought about this, we're going to be in Melbourne for sure. Melbourne Adelaide. Mm. If let's say Melbourne wins, I don't want to do a press conference until after that second game's finished, because those quotes will become entirely redundant within the next two hours. Well, um, let's just say the Adelaide Thirty Sixes season is done. I, I I think you should go up to CJ and say, "Listen, uh, CJ Bruton, I know you want to go home." How do you feel about hanging around for a couple of hours? We'll knock out the press conference, <laughs> then you can go back to Adelaide. I don't want to talk to CJ Bruton about. The, the result. I want to talk to Dean Vickerman about the, the ensuing result. CJ Bruton, I'm going to ask him just like why you guys paid so much money for a team that really underperformed, right? That's like, that's that one thing. I want to talk to Dean Vickerman two hours after that, that full-time buzzer. That's my feel. We'll see. It's going to be crazy. And then as we mentioned, we have got the awards that we've all rolled through uh, next Tuesday night. Uh, we did also, we had Pride Round and I was in at the jump and we were filming various things. We were uh, filming Kane and Cope. So Beck Allen came in. Mm. So I was really out of the loop. We had word come through that the Cairns type bands were going to put out a statement at 7 p.m. So we understood probably what was going to happen. But I, I didn't see any of You were in the building. Uh, what was it like from your perspective? It was super weird. It was the, they dropped a statement, which in effect said uh, that they were clearly mad at the potential vitriol that would have come and it, it was it seemed like a brewing amount of vitriol that was going to come because of a player or player's decision to not wear the pride jersey and so they collectively banded together and chose not to wear it uh as an as a collective um and so that quickly became the story of that evening uh, at the state basketball center um and it was look it wasn't great I, I don't th- I think it was a decision that was rushed I think the, the press release that came out was uh, also rushed I think it was poorly written um, I think it was a bit tone deaf 
Um, and this is the look. The nature of this issue is look. It's very weird. We we're generally kind of we live in like a small L, like liberal society. We're generally pretty tolerant of others, right? But when we're faced with intolerance, or at least the perception of intolerance, it's it's a weird thing to deal with. Um, I guess we have agreed within this NBL community that if you choose to not wear the jersey, you know, you have the right to do what you want. That doesn't come without consequences, right? And so we saw after that game, because the entire team didn't wear it, you have CQ University, which is their major sponsor, their naming rights sponsor, come out and say that they were disappointed in it. Now, if you want to come together as a team and not wear that jersey, that's on you guys to do. But if it means losing your major sponsor, that's sort of, that's the consequence that you have to deal with. So I feel like this isn't, we're not a government, right? As in people can do what they like, but it's not going to come without an outcome that might be unfavorable to you. Um, and I guess I just feel bad for players in that team who would have wanted to wear the pride jersey, potential closeted players in that team, in the front office, in the community, who all of a sudden feel as though that the one team that represents their state or like their city doesn't represent them. That's just the unfortunate thing. I didn't get that. Okay. <laughs> really good time for Siri to chime in. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, and I feel like the Sydney Kings did it the best way. Right? Tim Suarez chose not to wear it. The Sydney Kings said, we stand behind his decision to not do that. These are our values as a club. This is what we stand for. And we'll proceed forward. And I feel like that's the best way to actually foster conversation and discussion is for allow, allow people to make their decisions. And then we can we can talk about it. That's how that's how we can get progress. I agree. And I think Simon Mitchell was, uh, had some pretty good words about, you know, you can't force this. This is the first year that the NBL has done this. I hope when I saw that last Wednesday, my main hope is that they push through with it next year, maybe a little earlier as well, and decide when we're going to do this rather than just a few days before the round. Now, I'm not saying that the league didn't know that they were going to do this. We understand the reasons why it's it's progressed the way it has. But yeah, that was, that was my big thing. Well, I wasn't surprised that you're going to have some pushback where I think we're all acknowledged that that was probably going to be the case somewhere along the line. But yeah, you pushed through with it. And we did see Cairns last night. They played with, you know, they had the court and the dance team was wearing you know pride themed stuff uh, i guess is is the right way to put it so yeah it, it, i wasn't surprised which is is a shame mm. but i would say just keep pushing forward with the message because i think what we've seen over the last week is is why why it's there yeah adam ford tried to make it really clear and it was a weird press conference to be a part of um they should not have brought ben air into that press conference bring your captain into that press conference um but he tried to make it clear that that as a collective like as a club apparently we support the pride round he, he tried to he said that over and over again um the problem is is that yeah based on your actions you demonstrably don't um and you know actions speak louder than words etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it was just it was a weird it was almost like a win for for those who are against the inclusion of like lgbtq plus people in the sport right and so then simon mitchell i thought said it really well and that how as an NBL community can you listen to Isaac Humphreys for example and the experiences he went through because of his struggles with his sexuality and then all of a sudden take that stance how, how is there not just an immediate reaction to try and in his words lift a brother up right and I feel like that's that's the way we should all feel agreed well said uh, we'll see what happens this weekend we can wrap up this podcast now though Ogs and I'm excited it's going to be fascinating. It's been an awesome season. 
we're going to continue to podcast. Like I said, subscribe to the podcast, turn the notifications on, and you'll know when we drop next week's because it might be a little messed up just because of the awards night on Tuesday night. And, you know, there's a timeline to these type of things. There's no point doing a Tuesday afternoon podcast hours before all the major awards are announced. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out the timing. Um, but we'll be back next week, Olgs, and I'll see you wearing a tux at, at Crown Casino. I can't wait. You say tux, I'm saying I'll wear whatever suit I can get my hands on. Like it. That's the way it should be. Catch you next week. Bye.